Our devotion for this evening is going to be based on the account of Rahab the prostitute. During our devotions for this midweek series, we're going to be following ancestors of our Savior Jesus, particularly three female ancestors in a series called Mothers of the Messiah. If you're ever interested in seeing the genealogy of Jesus, a great place to go is Matthew chapter 1, and Matthew goes out of his way. He's, he's listing a bunch of males, males after males, but he goes out of his way to mention that in Jesus' genealogy was Rahab. The writer to the Hebrews, thousands of years after Rahab had lived, after, Ray, after the events I'm going to talk about took place, the writer to the Hebrews singles Rahab out. He says, you guys remember Rahab? The prostitute, is that fair? Would you like it if people thousands and thousands of years after you were dead remembered you for the darkest time in your life when you were walking a wayward path? I mean, it's safe to say that Rahab stopped being a prostitute. Can we cut her some slack? This is kind of like when everyone talks about doubting Thomas. He did a lot of other stuff other than doubt in Jesus. It's safe to say that Rahab did not remain a prostitute for all of her life, especially as she came to faith in the one true God, and she realized that faith in the one true God was not going to allow her to continue living that way. It's also safe to say that living life as a prostitute, taking money for sex as her occupation, was not her only sin. And as you read the events of Joshua chapter 2, you see the things Rahab is capable of. She has direct orders from her, her governor, her, her leaders in the city of Jericho. If you see any funny business, report it to the king. And she doesn't. Two, a couple of Israelite spies come knocking at her door. Two men, this time for probably once in her life, two men knocking at her door, not looking for sex. They were looking for a place to sleep. And she says, fine. And she doesn't breathe a word of it to her king. You know, we have a word for that in America. We call that treason. We call that betrayal. We don't call her Rahab the treasonist. We don't call her Rahab the Benedict Arnold. We don't call her Rahab the traitor. Now we refer to her still to this day. I'm doing it right now as Rahab the prostitute. I'm going to give a little bit of advice as we read the account, as we talk about the account of Rahab's life and what she did for those Israelite spies. Don't try too hard to justify anything that she did. She was a, a prostitute. You could say that she did that just so that she could make a living. She betrayed her country, her kinfolk, to the Israelites. You could say that she did that out of self-preservation, out of wanting to become an Israelite herself. This account of the Bible is an ethical mess. <clears throat> and my advice is that we keep it that way. Word had gotten to Rahab and the citizens of Jericho already about the Israelites' campaign of blood that they were starting. There wasn't a, a person under the sun who didn't hear about the parting of the Red Sea and how Moses led the Israelites on dry ground. There wasn't a person who didn't hear about how Moses had led the Israelites and defeated kings Sihon and Og, leaders of the Amorites, who were no joke themselves. And so word had gotten around about this ragtag group of ex-slaves and how they were 
virtually undefeatable on the battlefield. So Rahab puts two and two together. Why does she aid and abet those Israelite spies? Why does she defect from her people, Jericho, uh, of the citizens of Jericho? It's because for once in her life, she wants to be on the winning side. For once in her life, she wants to stop being taken advantage of, she wants to stop living the path that she's on. We shouldn't focus so much on the ethics of Rahab. Focus on what she says. She says to the Israelite spies, I know that your Lord is the one true God. And for, a, for whatever reason that she helped those spies out of selfish self-preservation, self maybe, out of a desire just to stay alive, out of a desire to survive the coming onslaught of the Israelite army, she gets that as much right. She looks at the Israelites' God and says, to be on your God's side is to be on the winning side. And that's enough of a confession of faith as any. Fast forward to the New Testament era when Jesus is, has taken on flesh and he's walking among us, he's dwelling among us. Who are the people who are flocking to him the most? The tax collectors? And the prostitutes. Why? Because these were the people who society was telling them constantly, you are dirty, you are impure, you are unclean, you are awful, you are wicked, you are sinful, and we all hate you. These were people who knew that they were on the losing side. And so they flocked to Jesus because like Rahab, they realized that their former way of life is not working is not going to work out for them in the end. And so they came to Jesus, and they gladly listened to his teaching. And when Jesus said, stop being a prostitute, stop being a tax collector, they said, okay. Because they recognized that with Jesus came meaningful change. With Jesus came something new, something different. With Jesus, they could be on the winning side for once in their lives. Brothers and sisters, Jesus did not come. He did not take on human flesh to justify Rahab's sin, to explain it, nor to justify your sin or explain it. He did not come and take on human flesh in order to give us, well, you did, us, you did the best with what you had. No, he came to forgive our sins. He came to do away with our sins. He came to remove our guilt and our impurity. He didn't come because the track we were on was fine. He came because we were on the losing side. We needed a win. The most important kind of win. So Matthew gives us Jesus's genealogy. He goes out of his way to mention Miss Rahab. Why? Because Jesus is the only person who could pick his family. Maybe you could think about your family, your brothers and sisters, your mom and your dad, and sometimes you have days where you wish you could pick a different one. Jesus actually did have the opportunity to choose from which family line he was going to come. He had the opportunity. As eternal God, he already existed. He knew he, the plan was for him to take on human flesh. He could pick the people from whom he came. And he picked Rahab. He picked someone who was defiled, who was unclean, who was a sinner, because by picking whom Jesus came through, 
he showed us whom he has come for. Jesus has come for the defiled. He's come for the people with checkered pasts. He's come for the people who have made grave mistakes, who have lived their whole lives, perhaps, on the losing side. Jesus has come for the dirty, rotten sinners that society rejects because there's no other kind of person. Because Jesus came for the Rahabs in the world to forgive them and cleanse them and make them new, that means he came for you too. Jesus did not come to affirm what's in your past. He came to forgive you of what's in your past. Jesus did not come to justify any of our sins. He came to justify us from our sins. And so is it fair, do you think, for the writer to the Hebrews to refer to Rahab as Rahab the prostitute? Well, not as a condemnation. Not as if we should crucify her all over again for that sinful period in her life, but as a reminder of where she was before the one true God found her, of where she was before she came to faith in the one true God and therefore was saved, where she was before she was grafted in to the nation of Israel and took her seat on the genealogy list of Jesus Christ. Remember where you were, not to condemn yourself all over again, not to crucify yourself all over again, but to give praise and honor to the God who has saved you from whatever that was. Because now you're on the winning side. Amen.